Hey, my name is Phil and this is my wife Meredith and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Last week we talked about this idea that the invisible God made himself visible. First by explaining and depicting himself in the form of the Ark of the Covenant and telling his people that though you can't understand me and grasp me, I'm going to give you a picture of who I am so that you can begin to learn and to understand about me because the children of Israel found themselves in this incredible place that many of us have found ourselves in where they encountered God and they had been redeemed and freed and saved by God, but they in fact, still did not really know God. And so he began to show them who he was and teach them who he is. And I think it's an important thing to remember, especially in a day and a time that values so much our intellect and our study and our understanding. And I think we should study. And I think the people of God should be intelligent, thoughtful people. But when we come to encounter God, we first and foremost have to encounter who he is and allow that to lead us into understanding. I think we get ourselves caught up and we get in a barrier when we think if I can study and I can depict and I can comprehend and I can explain and I can articulate who God is enough, then maybe I can be in relationship with him. Let me tell you, if I would have waited until I understood Philip Ryburn and I could describe to you and explain to you and to depict to you all of the wonders that that man is, I would have never moved into relationship with him and to be honest there are some things I found out later on that had I known earlier on may have at least caused me to pause and there is a long list of things on my end that had he known early on may have caused him to pause and to be truthful the thing about God is there are some things about God that if you would have known from the beginning would have drawn you closer to him but there are some other things about God that if he would have told you about that up front it might have caused you to pause. And so he says, I am going to save you and redeem you. And then I will begin to reveal myself to you. And he reveals himself to them in the form of this ark as a picture beginning to describe his attributes and who he is and give them a place where they can encounter the presence of who he is. But that is not his final plan because this invisible God wants to become visible so that his people can understand him and encounter him. And so the person of Jesus descends and condescends to become like each and every one of us and walk in human form, except for he is not like each and every one of us because he is God in flesh and in the person of Jesus we encounter who God is and if we want to know what it looks like for God to walk around and if we want to know what it looks like when God walks in this earth and God interacts with people and God has friends and what it looks like when God talks to other people and when God sits down and eats at a table we look to the person of Jesus 
And so throughout this week, I thought maybe I would move on to something else, but God kept talking to me about this box in the midst of the wilderness, about the benefit of this box, about what it was for his presence and his glory. And I started asking the question, what's inside the box? We talked a lot about the outside of the box last week. We talked a lot about the way that it was built and how it was built. Have you ever gotten like a package at your house or worse, had a gift waiting under a tree and you just had to look at that gift and the whole time you're like, but what's inside? I just want to peek on the inside and find out what's on the inside of the box. Why don't you tell somebody close to you or put in the chat, what's inside the box? Because when we look inside the box, God continues to tell us something about who he is. God just didn't give them an ark to carry around in the wilderness. He also gave them things to put on the inside of it to remind them of who he is. And he gives them, he tells them to put on the inside of it a gold jar that's filled with manna. Manna is the food that God gave them in the wilderness that would appear every morning when they woke and they would gather it up, but it didn't last until the next day because he was teaching them to be dependent on his provision. He was teaching them that he is new and fresh every morning. He is teaching them that sometimes, though it's the same food that you ate yesterday, it's fresh food for today. Though it's the same psalm that you've been reading since you were 13, it's a fresh psalm for today. It might be the same thing that it was yesterday, but there's something fresh in the jar for you today. And he tells them to put the manna in there, and he tells them to put Aaron's rod in there that budded in the midst of the wilderness so he could teach them how to direct and lead his people. And he told them to put in there two tablets of stone that contain the ten commandments that he gave to Moses, the ten words that he gave to Moses about who his people were to be and the ways that they were to walk and to follow him. And what do these ten, the ten commandments are at the center of the foundation of the understanding of the Christian life and Christian walk and Christian faith. They give to us a picture of what God was trying to speak to us about who he is and about who we are. And there's been a lot of discussion about where they should be and where they shouldn't be and where they should be mounted and where they shouldn't be mounted. And to be honest, at the end of the day, I have thoughts, but I don't have a lot of strong opinion on that because what I know is that God said they should be written on our hearts. So whether they stand in front of certain buildings or not, the question is, are they written on our hearts? Have the people of God taken time to meditate on these words, to repeat them and recite them and rehearse them until they become part of who we are, until they are etched on the inside of us? Because when God gave us these words, he was once again teaching his people something about who he is. And he said, these 10 are so valuable to me, are so meaningful to me, that I want you to take them and put them inside of the box that where everywhere my presence go, these words go. And he gives it to them in the book of Exodus. Let's look at it together in the book of Exodus, starting in chapter 20. We're going to start there at verse 3. Uh, we'll start at verse 1. I'm going to jump around this chapter a bit because it's a little bit lengthy. I would love for you to go back this week and read it on your own time. But it says, and God spoke all these words saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And one, you shall have no other gods before me. And two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that it is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is the water underneath it. Jump with me to verse 7. This is number 3. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number eight, uh, verse 8, number 4, it says, and remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Jump down to verse number 12. This is where number five comes. Although I think that it's interesting that God takes the most additional amount of time explaining the Sabbath day and why it is to be kept holy and how it is to be kept holy. And if we're honest, if we went around this room, well, one of these that we think about and that we meditate on the least is the day of the Sabbath and why it is holy. But God took extra time and extra attention in explaining the Sabbath. All right, number five, verse 12, it says, honor your father and mother that your day might be long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not cover your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These are the commandments that were etched on these stones and that were put inside of the tablet. These are the words that in so many ways become the foundational elements of understanding the Levitical law that God would give them and become the foundation of the understanding for how the church would interact with each other when Jesus came and said to them, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He is referring to these ten commandments because while these ten commandments are the foundational elements, you can easily split them into two categories because the first four of them, check out the first four of them. I think we have a screen that looks just at these first four because the first four are no other gods, no idols, don't take God's name in vain, and keep the Sabbath. The first four of these all have to do with the way that we interact with God, with who God is. He is describing to them, when you come to me, this is how I want you to come to me. When you interact with me, this is how you should interact with me. I want you to remember that there are are no other gods that are for you anymore. When you were in Egypt, there were many gods for you. When you were in bondage, when you were in slavery, when you were encapsulated in that life that you had before you came walking into this life, there were many other gods that vied for your worship and vied for your attention. But now that you are my people, there is no longer any other gods that are to be there before you. And then he tells them, don't make any idols, nothing that you can build of your your hand or nothing that you can look and you can see. Nothing in all of creation can be the place where you direct your attention and your worship because all of that has ultimately come from who he is. And he says, don't take my name in vain and remember the Sabbath day and keep the Sabbath day holy. He is directing how they are to interact with him. And all of it all together comes into a summary of him explaining to them that he is is holy, that God is holy. He is not like anything else. 
He is not like anyone else. He is not like, he is indescribable. That the God that they are walking with and the God that has redeemed them and the God that has called them and the God that loves them is all together holy. Holy is who he is and holy is his name and holy is the way you approach him and holy is the way you regard him and holy is the way you remember him and holy is the way you come into his presence. The word holy is used throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament and there are only two words that are used to, that we translate into this word holy. One in Hebrew and one in Greek and both of them mean the same thing. They mean separate from everything else. They mean distinct from everything else. They mean called out and different from everything else. So God says to them, I'm trying to describe to you who I am, and I am different than everything else you have encountered. So cover the box on the outside and on the inside with gold because it's a precious metal and because it's a costly metal, and I want you to know that I am a precious thing and that I am a costly thing, but I am not gold. Do not get confused. I am different than your gold. And I want you to carve something into it. And I want you to make something that's beautiful of the box. And I want you to put artistry and craftsmanship in it because I want you to know that I am a God of creativity and I am a God of beauty and I am a God of artistry. But I am not creativity and I am not artistry and I am not beauty. I am different from that thing. I am holy and I am distinct from it. And I want you to put it inside of a tent behind a separate veil because I want you to understand that I am separate from the rest of the rooms and I am separate from the rest of the places and I am separate from all of the other things that you go to but I am not the tent and I am not the veil and I am not the box. I am altogether different from it. And he says, I'll turn a bush in the midst of the wilderness and I'll put it on fire to show to you how I burn and to show to you how I'm powerful but I am not the fire itself. I'm just using it to show you something about who I am because I am indescribable because I am unlike he is holy 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 there are not enough words to depict who he is there are not enough words to describe the grandeur and the awe and the wonder of who he is there is not enough to describe the power and the omniscience and the might of who he is it's a cloud sometimes and it's a fire sometimes and it's a hazy mountaintop sometimes and it's the light that shines so bright it'll cause your sight to move from your body there's something about who he is and I can see pictures of it and I can see glimpses of it but I can't ever quite describe to you exactly who God is because he's a little bit of this and he's a little bit of that and I'm just trying to find some earthly ways to depict for you the glory and the wonder and the awesome and the mighty and the power and the majesty and the matchlessness of who he is and so at the end of the day, I just have to say, he's holy. He's holy. He's different than that. He's distinct from that. He's not like any of it. He's not like anything that I've ever encountered or anyone that I've ever been close to. He's not like any of it because he's holy. And he gives them these four laws to start out to say, I want you to remember that I'm holy. I want you to remember that I'm different. I want you to remember that I'm distinct and that the way that you walk with me is not the same that you walked with those gods in Egypt. 
And the way that you walk with me is not the same that you walk with your bros. I am holy. And then the next six of them have to do with how we interact with each other. He lays out six things to them. He says, honor your father and your mother. Don't kill each other. Don't sleep with people who aren't your spouse. Don't lie on people. Don't take things that aren't your things. And don't covet after things that aren't your things. Don't desire other people's things that don't belong to you. And God lays them out and he says, this is how when you're walking with each other, I want you to walk. It's why Jesus says all the law and the prophets can be understood in these two thoughts. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Because the first four are about the way that we love God. And the second six, or the last six, are about the way that we love one another. And the fact that he has to give us the other six, tell me and remind me that while God is altogether holy... And while his ethics are unmatchless and while his motives are unquestionable and he is altogether pure and he is altogether good and he is without question and he is without blemish and he is holy, 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 I am not. God had to tell you, you can't take other people's stuff. If it's not yours, you don't get to have it. He had to tell you that because you are not holy. You are incredibly common. All of us. All of us at some point along the lines of our lives predictably, predictably have done something that would get ourselves ahead. Predictably have done something that was in our own best interest and not in the best interest of our neighbor. Predictably, we have looked at a situation and said, well, I could for them or I could for me. And I'm choosing me. Because you are not holy. The opposite of holy, of being distinct, of being unlike any other, is to be common. It's where the word profane comes from, that we are common. We are not sacred and we are not separate and we are not holy. We are common. And while I think that in many ways we grasp the idea that there is some not goodness in all of us, that there is some sin in all of us, that we have a propensity to lie on others if it makes us look better, that we have a propensity to want to get a little bit extra for ourselves, that pushed all the way to our limit, there is an end to where our ethics come and there is an end to where our goodness comes. I don't know that we're so good at saying that we are not also distinct, that we are not holy because there's something that we love about putting ourselves in the spot of God in our lives. 
And so while I might admit to you that, yeah, there are some parts of me that are not altogether good, at the end of the day, I still think the center of my own universe revolves around who I am. And I still think that my uniqueness is so to be congratulated and it's so unique unto me that no one else has ever seen the world the way that I see the world and that my individuality is the height of my achievement in life and my individuality is in fact so epic of a part of who I am that it is to be the central thing around which my world revolves and your world revolves that all together I believe that the uniqueness of who I am is so separate from everyone else and is so distinct from everyone else that I want it to be regarded as holy. When in fact... While I am the apple of God's eye and while he created me for an individual purpose and while I believe that he smiles when he looks down on you, you are not holy. You are made of earth and of flesh and of bone and have a propensity for getting your own way and have a propensity for being bruised and being broken. You at the end of the day have your limits just like I at the end of my day have my limits. It is only God who is holy. It is only God who is so altogether holy and altogether good and altogether pure and altogether lovely. You cannot look at a side of him and not find holiness. You cannot look at a time when he was not holy. You cannot find a moment in the history line when he was not holy. You cannot find him on a bad day because he is still Holy. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed because he is holy. He is so holy that everything that he touches and everything that he grasps and everything that he puts himself near and around is holy. God says, I decided to be on this mountain. It's holy. He said, I decided to be in this bush. Take your shoes off. It's holy here. I decided to place myself behind this veil. Enter this way and only certain people because it's holy. Wherever he is, it's holy. He's so holy that the day that he picked is holy. He said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy because that's my day. Your day's not holy. Your birthday comes around once a year. And it's a special day. And I hope someone gets you an awesome ice cream cake with sparkly lights on it. But it's not holy. It's special. And we're going to party. And we're going to sing. But you get it once a year, and the rest of the world outside your little circle is going to keep on spinning and keep on rolling. And they'll even have the nerve to schedule other things on your day. God said, my day, I get my day once a week, and my day is holy. My day is different than all of the other days. My day is separate. On all of the other six days, work what you work and do what you do and be how you be and live how you live. But on my day, rest from work. Remember me. Come before me. 
reorganize and reorient your life in a way that is a bit uncomfortable so that it reminds you that this day is different than all of the other days because this day is set aside to God. It's his holy day. It's a day that belongs only to him. There has been a resurgence of discussion over the last several years about the value of recognizing time of holy rest or time of Sabbath or days of Sabbath. And I think there is great benefit to it. My concern in it is that we have entered it in our propensity to make things about ourselves in a way that says, ooh, it is a day about me where I get to clock out for a day. And yes, part of the day is refraining from work, but the point and the focus and the intention of this holy day is a holy God who said the fact that you are not working is not so you can sit back and get a breather today. The fact that you are not working is a reminder to you that it is not your hands that make you great and it is not your intelligence that builds your wealth and it is not your strength and your power that makes everything happen. It's a reminder to you that I am the God who gave you the mind to work something, that I am the God who put strength in your hands, that I am the God who put breath in your lungs. And so the other six days, do what you do out of your arm and your strength. But on this day, set it all down and say, God, at the end of the day, I have to trust you with it. And God, at the end of the day, I've made this space to be holy for you. And God, at the end of the day, this day is different than all the other ones because this is the day that you have said is yours. And he's so holy that if he touches that day, it's holy. He said, this day is mine. He's so holy that his name is holy. Your name's not holy. They gave it to other people. <laughs> Do any of you have like kind of a unique name? Like Meredith isn't a super common name. And every so often you encounter somebody and you're like, they let you have my name? Like I know Sarah's, I'm sorry, you guys just like all day are bumping into people with your name, right? John's, you just all the Michaels, like all day, you know. But if your name isn't super common and you run into somebody else with you, I'm, you're like, I cannot believe they let you have my name. But they let other people have your name because your name is not holy. It might be unique and it might be special and it might even have been made up by somebody in your family. But it's not holy. God says, my name is holy. Don't take my name in vain. Don't profane my name like it's common. Don't use my name like it's just like anybody else's name. Don't just walk around throwing my name out like my name is just like any other way. You're going to get something or you're going to use something or you're going to. My name is holy. My name is separate. You know, I've been in church a long time, like literally my entire life. And I am steeped in church, right? I have been steeped in churchiness my entire life. And that means that my beliefs and my culture are super church a lot, which means that it was drilled into me that you do not take the Lord's name in vain. It is so steeped into me that I will not text you, OMG. I will text you, OM goodness. OM gosh. Just if by chance 
you should think that in my abbreviations, what I meant was the other thing. I want to be clear with you that even in text lingo, I will not make the name of the Lord commonplace because his name has been set apart. His name is altogether different. He's telling the people, when you say my name, my name, God's name throughout the Old Testament almost becomes an extension of who he is. It takes on characteristics and power and relevance of its own. It's why he says to them things like, if my name goes with you. He doesn't even say, if I go with you. If my presence goes with you, he says, if my name goes with you, then I am with you. If my name goes before you, then you are. When my name is in that place, then it means something. His name has of its own self a character and a power and a strength and a relevance and a holiness that just the very presence, just the very invoking, just the very what his name is and what his name means Take something on. He says, if my people who are called by my name, not just any people, but the people where my name resides, when your name is on you, there is something about that name. There is a power in the name and there is a character that is thoroughly holy and that is altogether lovely and that is all, there is something about that Name. It's why when Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I am convinced that we do not always understand the depth and the strength and the power of our New Testament scripture because we do not thoroughly understand the depth and the meaning of our Old Testament scripture. Because when Paul writes to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 2 and 9, look what he says to them. He says, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. A name that is above every name. He said he has given him a name that is above every name. He's not just saying, oh, and then Jesus got exalted and he went up into heaven. He's saying, no, in the way that I told you that my name has power and in the way that I told you that my name has meaning and in the way that I told you that if my name goes with you, I am giving to Jesus as he is ascended into heaven a name that is above every name, that there is power in the name of Jesus, that there is strength in the name of Jesus, that there is hope for your future in the name of Jesus, that there is joy for your today in the name of Jesus, there is freedom in the name of Jesus, that it is a name that has character inside of it, that it is a name that holds power on the inside of it. It's not like your name. You can't cast out demons in your name, and you can't heal the sick in your name, and they won't recover in your name, and you can't call out those in bondage in your name, but when you say there is a name that is above every name, there is a name that is seated in heavenly places, there is a name where there is strength, and there is a name, oh, there's something about the name of Jesus, there's something about that name, and so I have to think, with this name all-powerful, with this name filled with strength, with this name filled with goodness, 
with this name. God could not have been talking about the way that I send my shorthand in my text messages. Surely that is not all that he meant. Surely he was not just thinking about if I use language that is a little bit too casual. And while I would not push the argument that you should become casual with using the name of God or the name of Jesus, he was not talking about their speech when he told them, don't take my name in vain. The word there is the word nasa, and it means to take upon you, to carry something to accept into your life what he was saying to them is when you take my name with you when you mark yourself with my name when you carry my name every place that you go do not take that name commonly know that you are my people who have been marked by my name you are my people who have been placed under the name of God. And so you cannot, you treat his name commonly, not when you use it casually in your speech, although it's a helpful reminder to us. You treat his name commonly and you take it in vain when you take up his name upon you, but then you go walking like you are just any other somebody. And you go living your life in the same way that you did in Egypt and you go walking around in the same way that you did in captivity when you take his name up upon you and instead of realizing that he a holy God who said on that day I have placed my name and because I placed my name on that day that day is holy that same holy God took his name and said on that people I place my name and if you accept my name on your life if you carry my name on your life though you are not holy you have now become holy you are different and you are distinct and you are unlike them and you are different from who you were before and you are different from the way you walked before and you don't get to walk just any kind of way anymore because you now are those who carry his name you are now those who walk in his name Look at what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. It says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Not holy because of what you can do. Not holy because you have earned it. Not holy because you could ever reach it or match it or grasp it or attain it. You are the one who's thinking about your neighbor's yard and how you could get your yard to look like that. You are coveting what they have. But God said, I am holy. And because I am holy, I have decided to place my name on you and when I place my name on you you become holy and you become distinct and you become unlike and you become different and you can't walk around any kind of way anymore you can't behave any kind of way anymore you can't just be like any somebody anymore because now you are holy 
It's different when you walk in the room. It's different when you come into the space. It's different when you enter in. It's different because you carry with you the name of a holy God. This is what he says by the time he gets to second, sorry, first Peter two and nine. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood and a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How do we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light in the way that we walk and in the way that we talk? And in the way that you engage and interact with those around you, you have put his name on you. You carry his name with you. And the way that they know that he is holy is by the way that you, they see that you do not engage and interact in the same way that everybody else engages and interacts. Have you ever met somebody that, like, leads with the fact that they're a Christian and then doesn't, like show up, you know? Like they come in to the function and they're like, oh, hallelujah, I was in prayer this morning, da 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 And you're like, but you were late. And you've spent all day talking about everybody. And you didn't bring a gift to the party. And I saw that you took extra food on your way out. <laughs> and you're like, Lord. If you, honestly, I'm being funny because it makes it go down easier, but that is profaning his name more than saying OMG is. If I had to choose, say OMG if you can't let it go. I can't even say it. My mama's here on the front row. I can't even, y'all know what I mean because I won't say it out loud still. But behave. Conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the calling you have received. And the calling you have received is that he has called you by name. And he has put his name on you. And he has marked you with his holiness. And he has marked you with your goodness. How do you walk in a way that is like him when you are so unlike him? You spend time with him. Have you ever noticed how friend groups start saying the same things? And they start doing the same mannerisms. And they start using the same hand actions. And they start valuing the same things. You know, one of the best ways for you to stay fit and healthy in your life is to find a friend group who is also fit and healthy in your life. And one of the fastest ways for you to be unhealthy in your life is to find a friend group that is unhealthy in their habits. Because your values will begin to reflect the people that you spend your time around. And many of us, it is apparent, have been spending more time with our TikTok and have been spending more time with the shows that we like like to watch and have been spending more time with people who have not been called by name than we have in the presence of a holy 
God, because I promise you, if you find time, if you make time to say, God, I want to look at your face. I want to spend time in your presence. God, you alone are holy. It's when you dwell all of the sudden before you know it, your thoughts have become his thoughts and your walk has become his walk and your mannerisms have become his mannerisms and your speech has become his speech, not because you have strived and fixed and pushed and prodded everything in your life into some kind of a, because you have spent so much time with him that you just start picking up on the way that he moves. In the book of John, it said, be attached to the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. And here is the revelation that God gave me about the vine and about the branches. If I am attached to the vine, every time the vine moves, I have to move with it. Every time the vine sways, I have to sway with it. If I get too detached from the vine, I begin to die. But if I keep my life hooked up to the vine, if I keep myself attached to the presence of God and to the things of God and to the ways of God, every time he moves, I move. And every time he speaks, I speak. And slowly but surely, who I am becomes more and more holy like he is holy. He says, conduct yourselves in this way. Conduct yourself in a way that declares the excellency of who he is. And the start of that journey is saying, God, I accept your name on my life. God, I accept carrying your name. And I will do my best to carry your name in a way that is worthy of your holiness.